This is part one of a two-part series on curiosity. Welcome to the Idealect Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Tyson. The tagline for the Idealect Project as a whole, of which this podcast is one part, is Cultivating Curiosity. This project is built on the idea that curiosity is a fundamental ingredient in developing a healthy life, a constructive community, and a progressing world. In many of the conversations I've had through the Idealect, people have touched on the incredible value of curiosity. In this episode, you'll hear a variety of insights on this topic. I've carefully selected these insights from over 36 hours of interviews and have threaded them together to create a tapestry that depicts the beauty and importance of curiosity. I hope it's as informative and enlightening to you as it is to me. We're beginning with a story from George Roberts. George is the owner of Homewood Studios, an art gallery and creative space in the Homewood neighborhood of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's also a retired teacher who taught at the local high school for 31 years. George had this story to tell about one of his classroom experiences. One time, I'm remembering another thing about my classroom now. Um, I, I did something every year where in the first couple of weeks, we did what were called setting the table exercises. How are we going to be together in this classroom? And I would develop a, a little acronym each year, depending on what we came up with for the ways we're going to all behave in the classroom. Hmm. So there was this way to say, we're going to be together for 180 days. What, how can we build some trust and set some expectation? One day, a young person, probably about your age, who was a practice teacher, came into the classroom to observe. And we were having a discussion about a song, popular song. And one of the kids made a very homophobic remark. And when we had discussions, I sat down with everyone else. I didn't have a desk in my room. I just sat with everyone else. And in order to keep the discussion flowing, I had a coach ball. Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. It's a little squeezy kind of thing with lots of rubber things coming out. It's easy to throw around the room and not injure anyone. Mm -hmm. So the person with the coach got to speak. And then when you were done speaking, people say, I want to speak, and I'd throw the coach to you. Mm -hmm. So somebody had the coach, and then that difficult homophobic remark was made, and somebody else got the coach and said, that's a pretty tough thing to say. Did you really mean that? And the person paused and said, yeah, I really, I really feel that. And somebody else put their hand up and got the coosh and said, are you really saying that you think the word, they, the, back then the word wasn't sexual preference, but it was the way you think about yourself, something like that. Are you really saying that they're bad people because they make the wrong decisions? Well, yeah, I think I am. The coosh went somewhere else. And for three or four minutes, kids in the classroom interrogated this person who made a difficult statement. I didn't say a word. Afterwards, the young person who was visiting said to me, how did you do that? And I said, it could have gone the other way. But we try to establish trust in this room. 
and we try to establish pausing and being aware of our feelings before we speak. And that's what you saw happening. So did I teach that? Well, I, I think I set up the circumstances where that's what could have shown up. It could have easily, just as even been someone coming across the table and decking the guy, that's happened in my classroom too. But more often, there's this, let's, let's try to figure this out notion. Huh. And that's an example of what I try to do always in my life is when presented with a difficult moment, first of all, recognize it's going to pass. I think there's scientific evidence which says you can't hold an emotion for more than about a minute and a half. And whatever you're doing after that is just reaction or anger or tension or whatever you decide to do with that feeling. So if we can just hang in there for those first 90 seconds and assess things and move on, however we want to move on, but mindfully, huh. that makes more sense to me than uh, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, well, it makes for a more interesting world too, I think. It sure does. It, it, it's not, there's not so many right answers and wrong answers. There's just a whole lot of, gee, I didn't think of that. I never thought of that before. And I like to call that complicating kids' lives. I, my job as a teacher was to complicate kids' lives rather than to make them smooth and easy. There's something beautiful about having the grace to step away from our often simplified view of those around us. Even stories that illuminate other people in our community are really helpful. I mean, I think knowing and understanding the people around us is, is an important part of our job. This is Regina McCombs, the senior editor for Visual News at Minnesota Public Radio. And I think that's especially true right now when people are sort of so divided that if we can sort of help show each other as human beings with really valid questions and problems and viewpoints, I think that's, I think that's useful too. About this just the other day, when I was growing up at church, my, dad's, my dad was pretty conservative politically. His best friend was a college professor who was quite liberal. And A, the fact that they went to the same church together, I think has changed a lot. I think even churches have gotten to where you sort of pick a church based on your politics. Mm, yeah. And I think, you know, they would tease each other about it, but they were, you know, they liked each other, they respected the other person. Um, and I think we've lost a lot of that sort of idea that you can disagree with someone but still respect them. Mm. And I think part of it is we um, have moved away from believing that people we disagree with may have good, valid reasons for the things that they do or the ways they believe, and we have a tendency to sort of believe the other is either stupid or corrupt or, uh, you know, just not paying attention, which might be none of those is true. Um, and so I think that's sort of the big unfortunate thing, that we can't sort of accept that, okay, you and I fundamentally disagree. But that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have good reasons for you thinking the way you do yeah. or acting the way you do. And I think that's sort of the big thing is we have to sort of make an effort to stop being so judgmental about why people say something or do something and have to sort of say, okay, you know, what is it in their lives that makes this true or makes it, makes it 
you know, shaped how they believe. Diane Barber spoke of the same idea. We all are different, but my thing is, if uh, why can't a person treat me the way I'm treating them? I struggle with that a lot. At the time of our conversation, Diane was an AmeriCorps member. Serving, not working, she said, as a community education coordinator in Minneapolis. And uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional home, and I love my family, but it was like they could not give me that in return. You know, and it took me a long time to figure out, well, they may never will, you know. It, it was so superficial, you know, and, and I, I just couldn't understand or grasp that they, they're not you. You know, everybody is different, and they may not know how to love like you know how to love. And then Diane shared something that put this in a whole new light. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a middle child of 16 siblings. I was a middle, in the, dead in the middle. So for me, I was um, that rubber band. I would be pulled from this side, that side, you know, and uh, I always wanted everybody to get along, you know, and, and it took a toll on me. It took a very bad toll on me. I was just, I was just lost. I was really lost in the shuffle. You know, there was, I didn't have a voice. I feel like I didn't have identity um, at all, you know, so that's why I just, I, I, when I was liberated, from that um, life or mindset, I won't say life, I'll say mindset, because our minds is so powerful. Once I was liberated, I'm like, oh crap, it's okay. You know, it's okay. If they don't, they don't. What's, what's more, what was more important to me that I love me. What brought that liberation? Um, heesh, being accused of things I didn't do or, or uh, was not capable of doing by family members. And, and it, just, it shook me. It shook me. I'm like, that's not who I am. And, 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 the, and the fact that that's how that person saw me, it hurt me, but it also allowed me to release them, you know, out of this, oh, I want to be loved so bad and I want you. It just, it just released me, you know. I don't want to drive right now because I get to see a lot. Uh, I get to people watch. Um, I'm not trying to figure people out at all because I'm not a licensed practitioner or nothing. But just to see um, and, and hear, I listen to. I listen to a lot of conversations and, and just can imagine, like, oh my gosh, I wonder what they went through to make them, you know, think like that. Our life circumstances play a significant, though not comprehensive, role in determining the way we approach other people. For Diane, being the middle child of 16 siblings gave her the motivation to really understand people. Through seeking to understand, we position ourselves to move forward holistically. In talking with Moses Tut, a 24-year-old Sudanese entrepreneur and nonprofit initiator, it came across that the act of seeking to understand can look a number of different ways. He spoke about education and how we often limit it to something done in a classroom setting. In doing this, we downplay the strength of experiential education. The more experiences you have as an individual, the more holistic, let's say, your mindset is of how to go about situations or problems. And as well as the more you travel and meet different people and cultures and countries, that really expands your way of thinking. 
from my perspective. You know, being a college dropout, right? I'm not the traditional, uh, I guess, person, right? That would then advocate for education because I didn't even finish my education, right? Mm -hmm. I went as far as just a year in college and just felt that I didn't really need it and I wasn't really getting anything out of it. Hmm. But um, I like this because you're saying really that there's more than just one kind of exactly. education. Yeah. There's more than just a formal education, right? There's, there's that experiential learning of going through life and failing and I really don't look at it as failure, right? It's a learned experience. Hmm. And what you can take from your failures, right, is what makes you better is you know you learn something and going forward if you fail again you know you you know that you didn't change what it is you did before hmm. uh, so if you can look at it from what can i change that i didn't do let's say when i failed the first time or when i went through this experience the first time um, and really just throwing yourself out there in the world i think is the most important thing life invites us to explore it and the only way we explore it is by throwing ourselves out there, as Moses says. Brant Kingman talked about vibrantly experiencing life from the cusp of a wave. I, find, I feel most productive and most useful when I'm in that momentary state where I'm on the cusp of the wave. Brant is an internationally renowned artist, known not only for his physical creations of art, but also for creating an environment and experience of creativity for the people he gathers together. When I met Brandt in March of 2018, he was in the midst of a sudden and unexpected studio relocation. To him, the act of moving his studio isn't new. It's a familiar experience and one that doesn't invite discovery. And when I'm building a crate to pack my stuff and move to another space, I know how to build the crate. I know I have to find the other space. And I know I need to put the materials in the crate and take it to the other space. And that whole thing is known. That's a known, kind of a, more of a known process. So I feel it's less productive and it doesn't, it doesn't reach. I don't feel it's a generous process. I feel when I am more generous to other people, to the spirit itself, that I feel better. Hmm. Hmm. I don't feel like I'm, I, I feel like a, a good feeling in life is feel, feeling like you give, hmm. like I give to life. And if I am not giving to life, then I don't feel as good. This is the end of part one of this two-part series on curiosity. Next time, we'll hear again from George Roberts and four other people, including a life coach, two educators, and a community activist. See you in episode two.